Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, fellow citizens, denizens, sovereigns, whatever you claim to be at this stage, <laughs> nationals, a lot of people trying to use that. <clears throat> this is part five of Decoding Churchianity. And one of the things I want to touch on this evening, since I had mentioned uh, the book of Acts last week, I think this is a good little lesson uh, to step away for just a little bit from looking at like the doctrines or the dogma of the churches and what they base those ideas on, uh, because typically it's not scriptural. You're not going to find it in the Bible. And if it is, it's been kind of convoluted, you know, and twisted. Well, this might mean this or this might mean that. And especially when people are looking at things as being maybe mythology or parables, you know, if you look at things that way, then you can pretty much make anything mean anything you want it to. And this is going to be covering a situation regarding court, which I think, especially with a few years of these podcasts going, uh, people are very familiar with court situations. Well, we can learn good information, I think, from some of the oldest books around, and the scripture would be one of them. And there's multiple court situations that we can learn from in scripture that can be very, very useful. Uh, situation we find ourselves in, though, especially if people are looking at doctrines or dogma, things of that nature in scripture, is that we naturally default to looking at things with 21st century eyes. But what we're looking at might be, in this case, like something from the first century, or maybe things from 500, 1,000 years ago, or more prior to that. And so it's not really going to make a lot of sense to us. A lot of people, for instance, will look at Scripture and they'll say, oh, I don't understand this, it just doesn't make sense, uh, weird wording, you know, different things like that. But the main problem generally is because we are looking at much, much older material through our 21st century lens. Now, while a lot of these things may be written for us and may be beneficial for us, they weren't written to us. And the wannabe Apostle Paul is a very good example of this. Because if you look at the majority of the books that are claimed to have come from him, they are letters, especially to seven churches. And it'll start out, you know, this letter to the Church of Corinth, for instance, uh, which is one of the situations I want to bring up this evening. <clears throat> You have to realize that that church or those people are going through certain things, which, you know, it, they may be applicable things for us today, but we have to realize that the stories being told aren't really going to be comprehended by us as well as they were by those people. And this situation, which I alluded to last week, 
in the 26th chapter of Acts and the 22nd chapter of Acts is a perfect example. I would recommend people look at the 22nd and 26th chapters, read those together, <clears throat> because a lot of times, for instance, people say that there's three different accounts that Paul gave for his road to Damascus story. And I am not so sure that the 26th chapter and 22nd chapter are two separate events. And I think they're kind of a storytelling of the same event. And when, when you read them together, that, that really starts to make a little more sense. But we have to realize what he was saying and the, the claims that were being made there. And just like in the beginning of all his books, he lays out who he is. You know, he's a little boastful, but, you know, there's nobody else to espouse for his credentials. You know, so he comes out and says, you know, um, I've been placed here by God. You know, I'm here under his authority. Um, and in this situation here specifically, he claims, as we're going to see mentioned by the prosecutor in the case, he claims that he studied at the feet of Agrippa. Well, him studying at the feet of Agrippa, think of that as being akin to maybe studying at the feet of Plato or Socrates, uh, somebody of that ilk, because that, that would have been kind of the genre that this teacher was in. Uh, Gamaliel would have provided Paul a lot of really good source and reference material of things that had been written previous centuries, and he would have had a much more rounded schooling than just your average child that attended, whether they went to church in the synagogue and learned there or went to school there and learned there. You'd have a much fuller comprehension of things than most people would. Well, in this situation, he ran again, up against somebody that had the same knowledge as him. Oops. You know, I, I've talked in the past about people using things to defend themselves in a court case that are maybe legal fallacies or uh, legal falsehoods and things that sound like they should be legitimate, but they really aren't, especially people who use cases. And if you go back and look at that case, the claim that's made regarding that case isn't even found within it. It's not in the holdings anywhere. There may be something that was mentioned in argument by the defense, but just because it was used in argument by the defense doesn't mean that the court upheld that particular argument, even though they might have cited for the defense. So you have to be leery of those kind of things. And we're going to see that exactly right here in the case with Paul. Paul is here in front of the prosecutor, <clears throat> was Felix at the time. People may see the name Festus written in places. Festus succeeded Felix in that office. But Paul's there in front of this prosecutor, Felix, and King Agrippa. Now, this is Herod Agrippa. This is a grandson, grandson of Herod the Great. I think more people would be familiar with Herod the Great than they are with Agrippa. But that was the lineage that this king came from. And so here he is in front of the king, in front of the prosecutor, Felix, and he's doing the same thing as he does in the beginning of his books. He 
says who he is and uh, what his author authorization is. And because, like I said, he doesn't have anybody else to really espouse for him. So he's always kind of bragging about himself. And so in here, he brags that he's been a Roman citizen and that he's a Pharisee. And that, in fact, he was out doing what the church wanted him to do. He was doing what he felt God wanted him to do by prosecuting followers of the way. Followers of the way, the, the way was something that was taught by James. And this is really not to be confused with Christianity. I see a lot of people claim that, oh, that's where Christianity came from. Well, they might have been somewhat related, but they weren't the same. Christianity, as we'll see a little later here, was what Paul was pushing. That was what Paul referred to as my gospel. When he was out teaching, he didn't say he was spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said he was putting out my gospel. It was Paul's gospel. And so Paul was actually even going to the high priest to get authorization to go and persecute these people. Which I find interesting because, as I had mentioned Corinth earlier, in front of the church of Corinth, when he was speaking to them, he was saying, well, I, I don't need any commendation. I don't need any letters. You listening to me, you, you know that I'm telling you the truth. That's strong enough. That's all that's needed. Well, what was he referring to there? He was referring to letters of commendation from James. Because people that were going out and teaching the message were supposed to have a letter of commendation from James that way, they knew that whoever was teaching them was giving them good material directly from the actual source where it originated from. However, even though that Paul didn't feel like he needed letters of commendation from James, he did feel like he needed letters of commendation from the high priest. And so he would go to the high priest to get his authorization to go out and persecute followers of the way, which obviously the church wanted done. They wanted to get rid of those people as they were a threat against the mainstream religion of the day. And they were also a threat against Rome itself because what Christ was teaching was not a reliance on big government to take care of you. And you lose your job, you don't run to unemployment, this or that. No, we're supposed to be helping each other and taking care of each other. Well, while Paul is making his case, he, of course, reaches for a higher power, right? And, you know, he needs as much power behind him as he can get in, the, in this court battle. So who's he going to reach to? Oh, you reach to Jesus Christ himself. And he said that Jesus Christ spoke to him. And he made the statement. He claimed that Jesus, in the Hebrew tongue, said to him, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And two verses later, the prosecutor, Felix, says to him, he says, hath much knowledge made you crazy? Think about that again. The prosecutor says to him, hath much knowledge made you crazy? And to a lot of people, well, to just about anybody, this makes no sense. Why would the prosecutor say that? 
the reason why he would say that because Paul has claimed that he has had much, much knowledge, you know, studying at the feet of Gamaliel. And then he makes this statement about kicking against the pricks. This was a very common statement that was understood by many people because it came from a play over 450 years earlier. It was a Greek play called Bukai. People would even use that statement in different everyday situations. And so all of a sudden Felix is looking at him going, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, you're going and you're substituting a scene from a play. You're placing Jesus Christ as having made that statement and making it to you. You're taking, um, I don't even want to say literary discretion. <laughs> he was taking a lot of literary leniency <laughs> in doing this. And he got caught. The same way people can get caught using legal fallacies in court. And that's what he used here. He used a falsehood. He used something that was not true. And even the king realized that. Herod said to him, he said, you almost converted me to Christianity. So right there, you're saying that Herod could also draw a distinction between the way and Christianity because Paul was promoting Christianity. Herod didn't say, you have almost converted me to the way. No, he said, you have almost converted me to Christianity, which was Paul's gospel. That was my gospel that he talked about. I recommend people read and study extra biblical text. You're going to find a lot of things that you say, oh my gosh, that's exactly what was going on in scripture. You know, that, that sounds so familiar. I know when I read Corpus Hermeticum, uh, Hermes Trimagistus, I was seeing the same thing there. I was like, these are some of the same words that Paul was using. Yeah, this isn't like original material or anything like that. And it also kind of made me realize, you know, there's a, probably a reason why the churches don't want people reading extra biblical material. It's because it's going to point some of these situations out. And I would say, Paul, you could say plagiarize, but maybe not only just plagiarize information here in his court appearance, but you can find it through many of the letters that he wrote to the churches. So as I say, we need to look at older information and look at it with the lens of the people that it was written to and the people that it was written for, because it wasn't written necessarily to or for you and I. And it's not going to make as much sense to us in the, with a 21st century lens as it does if you use, say, for instance, a first century eye. Put yourself in their sandals, if you will. And things will make a whole lot more sense. It, it, similarly, with court and, and using different cases in different situations, you can't use something from just any court or a decision, even if it is a legitimate decision, from just any court, for instance, in the USA, 
in any other court in the USA. If you're using things from different districts, the court may see it as, they say, compelling, but it's not mandatory for them to follow. I think that's a big mistake a lot of people make. You know, they find a case, you know, maybe in California, but they dwell on Ohio and they're going to use that as part of their defense. The court's going to ignore that. People need to realize that that's going to have the same effect pretty much as using legal fallacies or using a falsehood and making up a story like Paul did here in court. This has been the Matrixit discussion group call, as in exiting the matrix for tactical sovereignty, the first day of the week, the Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't yesterday. Yesterday was the seventh day. That's what seventh actually means. Seventh means Sabbath. Sabbath also means oath. This is one of the things that we experience in trying to use ideas and language in the 21st century that is totally inappropriate for what really started everything, what really started like the days of the week, for instance. So we know all of that's been convoluted. You know, the holidays have all been switched around. And we need to try and look at things through the correct lens to comprehend what's really going on. Everybody have a wonderful week. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.